Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, a show dedicated to our shared surroundings with industry heavyweights that are dedicated to designing, developing, manufacturing, and disrupting the status quo in order to make all our spaces cleaner and safer for everyone. Red light's on, so you guys are recording right now. I'm going to mute myself and kill the camera. As soon as you see my camera go dead, Gary, you're off to the races, okay? All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Indoor Air Pod. I'm Gary Moody, the host. My special guest today is Corrine LeBlanc. She's an engineer, a best-selling author, and an international speaker. Also sitting in is J.B. Anderson, the Indoor AirPod producer. Corrine, it's great to have you. There's a lot to discuss. Hey, Gary. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, wonderful time of the year for the holidays, with the holidays, I should say. Hey, before we start talking about, you know, what, what you do, your company, and so on and so forth, why don't you share your career path to date? Where, where did you come from, and how did you get to this point? Well, guess what, Gary? Like all your other guests, or almost all of them, my father is in the business. So... Uh, very, very often when we end up in HVAC is because we have a member of our family. It, very, it happens very often. So my dad is an HVAC teacher. He actually taught um, at technical college in Quebec City. So okay. when it was time for me to choose a career, he never mentioned anything about, hey, why don't you go in this? However, I would see him uh, make correction or grades uh, grade his students on the kitchen table, or he would bring me to uh, to school and I would meet the other professors, the other teachers, the students. So when it was time to choose a career, um, I was like, wow, this sounds interesting. I love that it was there were so many options, right? There was a plumbing, there is a ventilation, there is a fire protection, there's refrigeration, there were so many options. And I didn't want to be um, restricted to only one option. So that was for me a big deal. And uh, then after that, I was the only one of my cohort to actually go to mechanical engineering. Everybody, the 250 students were like, don't go, don't go. And in my mind, I was thinking, hmm, I would rather be a boss than having a boss tell me what to do, right? <laughs> So I decided to go to university. I went to École de Technologie Supérieure, and it was in Montreal. And you may be wondering, why did you not go to Quebec City, right? Why would I go to Montreal? And it's very simple. It's because this was an applied university. So for me, it was very important to actually apply my knowledge. I wanted to go and have labs. I want to do a lot of practice so I can become a better engineer. So that's a little bit of my story, why I joined the HVAC community and uh, where I started. Yeah, and as you know, there's a, it's unprecedented, unprecedented what is happening now in the HVAC industry, uh, certainly across the United States, but worldwide. Regarding what, what do you do currently? What, what does your work entail? And tell us about your company. Oh, uh, I work for an amazing company. It's called iAir. And um, we are a manufacturer of air conditioning, and maybe 85% of our business are DOAS, so dedicated outside air unit. 
And the great thing with iAir is that we customize unit so we don't reinvent the wheel. So we kind of rely on those well-established manufacturers that has a lot of money and a lot of solution and a lot of design. And we use this and we customize them to with our own brand and our own model number to make dedicated outside air unit. And we the good thing is our owner is a professional engineer, is a PE. It's all about the data, the analytical, super smart. Our executive VP, same thing. They're very technical uh, men. Actually, I can bring them on the job site and they would go open the panel and they would see what's going on, troubleshoot, find solution. But as much as the technical part on the field, as well as the technical part on the engineering side. So it, it feels good to work for a company who know what they're doing. They're just not like... Uh, money people basically okay is your uh company based where's the home base is it in the united states or is it in canada yes it's in the united states so even if i'm from quebec i moved to united united states right off after college so i my first job was right off uh, at, after college and our company uh our plant is located in orlando florida okay and our headquarter is located in indiana Okay. How, is your market that you serve, is it is it primarily commercial or is it a mix of commercial and residential? Uh, primarily commercial. So we do a little bit of um, residential because we came out with a new product uh, about two years ago now, and it's a solar HVAC. And the solar HVAC now can be applied to the split system, the small condensing unit, for houses and residences. Okay. What, uh, as far as how you go to market, uh, do you do you sell to the HVAC trade distributor sales channel, or do you go direct to contractors, or do you get your leads from uh, consulting engineers? How, how do you generate business? Yeah, uh, we work uh, exclusively, almost exclusively, with distributor. Of course, if there is an owner coming in, um, we typically recommend or push them towards the distributor. So these are our partners, right? We have a lot of partners all over the U.S. and they are very good, reliable and successful distributors that market our product. And probably as you know, a dedicated outside air unit is not just like a unit that can you can just you know sell without any question, without any expertise. Uh, without any investigation. So we rely on them to also work closely with engineers so we can get our products specified uh, on the plans and spec. So we, we work with a lot of uh, applied distributors. So in the largest cities around America, there's one or more local HVAC distributors mm -hmm. that are partnered, whether it's the Watsco companies or Johnstone Supply or or R.E. Michaels, C.C. Dixon. I mean, there's, as you know, there's thousands of distributor branches all over America. Do you do you work with HVAC contractors directly? Uh, we don't. We really want to work with distributors. And when a contractor reach out reach out to us for pricing, quoting, lead time, we always um, refer them to our partners. These are our, um, our relationships that we maintain and uh, we trust them and we're always there to support them. 
So we don't work directly with contractors, but we do a lot of, you know, meetings and we include the contractors. We do some contractor training for, for our equipment as well, because like I mentioned, uh, a dedicated outside air unit is not an easy unit. Yeah, it's very, it's very specialized stuff. Yes. Um, do you provide, do you provide indoor air quality assessments? Yeah, of course. I actually see the DOAS as an indoor air quality unit. When you think about it, right? You have to bring a lot of outside air. Yes. You have to treat the humidity, temperature at the same time. So this is number one reason why we use the DOAS. And then we also provide a BPI. We have our own iron block uh, manufactured by iAir with our, our brand. We also have um, UVC lights or UV lights that we also offer as an option. We also have high filtration. So whatever the client needs as far as indoor air quality, we do have options to, um, to meet those, those specs. Where, where are you at right now, or maybe in the future, I should say, about indoor air quality monitoring? Is that something that you're going to be offering if you don't offer it now as far as the equipment? Uh, for the monitoring for what we monitor right now is only for the solar. So we have data for the solar, but we don't have anything for the indoor air quality. Well, it's a good thing that maybe we could add in our solar unit. It just seems like it's going to be a natural in the long term. I think more and more people are going to want to have an idea what's in their air. You know, PM 2.5, VOCs, CO2. Uh, you know, I, I just think that's coming. It's not here now, which leads me to the question, where do you think the indoor air quality industry will be five years from now in the U.S.? Oh, man, Gary, this is, uh, this is a big question. Uh, actually, I was thinking when you ask about the monitoring and for us to see what's going on, that's very scary. Uh, yeah. Because now... We are HVAC engineers, right? We know what's going on. So when I go to a building on the morning and I know that it has been unoccupied for the whole weekend and I can hear the fan starting and I'm thinking, oh my God, uh, you know, I'm going to breathe that air. You know, what happened to that drain pan and that coil over the weekend? You know, it's dark and warm and humid. It's the perfect um, environment for like the bacteria and the mold. So I'm thinking if we have to show it now to the population, it's uh, we better do a good job, right? We better Absolutely. have uh, all the tools. And thank God for ASHRAE to provide all those tools and the guideline and the standard. Uh, where would it be without ASHRAE? So, yeah, that's that's a very good question about like the, the, the future, where it's going to be, where do we want it to be, and what do we want the population to know? So we want everybody to know about it, but then do we? <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting topic. It's, it's not uncomplicated. It's very complicated. Regarding uh, carbon dioxide, I'm sure you're aware that there's a lot of differences of opinion. Uh, about CO2 indoors. And I got to ask you, you're in a ventilate, you're ventilation experts. In your opinion, is the carbon dioxide metric a reasonably good indicator that the ventilation is good, okay, or poor? There's no right or wrong answer. It's just yes. what I, based on what I see. Is what do you think? A, yeah. Well, um, I, you know, I, I kind of, 
I, I tend to keep a really close eye on ASHRAE mm -hmm. and what they say. But there's the EPA and the CDC and the American Lung Association. There's Harvard and there's so many other highly, you know, the highest credible organizations in the world. But it seems to be that the carbon dioxide level, when it gets to about 1,200 parts per million, we start to feel a little bit tired. Mm -hmm. And everything I understand off the top of my head is when carbon dioxide levels reach about 1,400 parts per million, cognitive learning in schools can be impaired and worker productivity can be impaired. Uh, so you're, you're ventilation experts, and that was the reason for asking about your thoughts, but, you know, let's move on from there. Regarding Legionnaire's disease, uh, you're an engineer. You, you know what Legionnaire's disease, I'm sure, is all about. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, some people seem to think that Legionnaire's disease is a lot more common than what's reported. And the only thing I see that's reported is when there's large outbreaks. What do you think about Legionnaire's disease? Uh, again, that's uh, very related to, I think, the UV, right? It's like when we, we want to take care of all this, those molds and the, the bacteria. So I, I'm not sure, uh, Gary. I feel like it's, uh, it's almost like it's, it's in or out, right? It, whatever is in the current news that we talk about. And then you wonder, it's almost like the earthquake. There is an earthquake. Now we all talk about the earthquake. We, we have all the supplies and then we kind of forget about it until there is another one. So I think this is a perfect example of, of this. And we've been talking about it forever, but what is done about it? And You, you bet. Well, preventative maintenance, as you know, is, it's, it's very, very important. And large yeah. buildings have complex water systems. And uh, from what I understand, it's not unheard of or uncommon, I should say, for buildings to have poor preventative maintenance plans that have these large complex water systems and the water quality management isn't what it should be and there's no water quality testing. Did you see the 60 minutes segment? Uh, I think it was October 29th, uh, you know, late October, Joe Allen from Harvard was on. He talked about indoor air quality. Did you happen to see that? I didn't see it, but I heard about it. <laughs> okay. I think on uh, you know I've been with Ashray or volunteering it, volunteering with Ashray for over twenty five years. So when I went on the Facebook and LinkedIn, everybody was like, "Oh my God!" But this is one of uh, another one of the the show or TV that I needed to go and watch. Right? We all have the list of books that we need to read things that we have to watch and I didn't uh, watch it but I did hear about it and I think one of the um, the comments was about like you know where's Ashri in this right why is Ash was Ashri was not really the center of it or the the guide or even referred uh, reference I mean so um yeah I think you you've heard about it right Gary so what what happened yes. what is your opinion about this well yeah, first of all there's an enormous amount of outdoor air or outdoor environmental news that's reported, Crane. I'm sure you're aware of this. It's literally every day, but it all has to do with the outdoors. You know, climate change, decarbonization, right. uh, solar, wind. And it's not just in the U.S., it's worldwide, but there's essentially very little indoor environmental news that's in the mainstream. But what I liked about CBS 60 Minutes, 
the program, of course, has a huge reach, something like 9 million people tune in each week. But at least he, you know, CBS 60 Minutes brought to light and, and shined it on the subject of the air that we breathe indoors. And I thought Joe Allen did a great job. Uh, you know, how much about indoor quality can be really be discussed in a matter of 15 minutes on TV? But I, I like that, you know, that, that actually occurred. Which of the following three types of buildings, in your opinion, have the worst indoor air quality? Schools, hotels, or nursing homes? In, in general. Yeah, I would say hotels, personally. I think it's because I travel more than I go to nursing homes. <laughs> and every time I travel, I'm like, oh, my God, my feet are sticking to the floor. What does that tell me about humidity in this room? And, you know, I, I'm an engineer. So, of course, I have these, uh, these little thermometer in every room in my place. And it shows the humidity and the temperature. And I check and... I guess I'm going to have to start traveling with one to see what's going on, right? Yeah, but, you know, hotels are not known, obviously, for providing a healthy environment. Uh, you know, it kind of is what it is. According to the American Lung Association, uh, I think it's something like 40% of schools are believed to have very poor ventilation. Regarding the elderly and nursing homes, that's the most vulnerable part of the population. Do you do you do any work with elder care facilities? Uh, and Senior assisted that, living. Yes, assisted living and skilled care. Yeah, we do. We do. We provide the outside air for them, as a you know, treating the outside air as a neutral solution, and then they have the air conditioning to to treat for the comfort cooling, basically. But yes, we do, and we do a lot of schools as well. And we understand uh, the importance of the uh, the outside air and having, you know, a lot of outside air, especially for the kids, um, because, you know, they are the future. So we have to take care of them. And as adults, we already know it's hard to, to pay attention and uh, focus all day. <clears throat> so imagine the kids. And then we have to take care of elderly as well. So... Yeah, absolutely, Gary. We do we do work with them. Okay. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, there's more nursing homes in America than there are hospitals, and the population is aging. So mm -hmm. the elder care industry is just. Uh, I, I think there's no doubt that's going to need help with ventilation and indoor air quality improvement. Um, you probably know that in the COVID-19 era, over 2,000 schools across 44 states in the U.S bought air purifiers. Looking back on that, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, they did the best they could, right? Knowing what they what they knew. It's 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 very difficult. This is like a a difficult topic. I feel like nobody has the answer and yet we're all trying to find a solution. And you hear some solution from one person and some solution from another. So us as engineer, we it's difficult for us. So imagine the population and imagine the schools. So I, I, you know, kudos to them for actually doing, you know, something about it. And uh, now that it works or not, or did they have the right kind, the right model, the right price, the right size? They did the best they could. 
You and, bet. I, I agree with you that the intention, the best of intentions certainly were present. Regarding wildfire smoke, this past summer, mm-hmm. something like 100 million plus people in America were exposed to Canadian wildfires in the upper Midwest and uh, eastern part of the United States. Uh, what are your thoughts about ventilation and how does that uh, going to factor into the future to protect people from wildfire smoke? Yeah, that, I actually I experienced it, Gary, um, in California, not uh, this year, but last year. Um, I live at the beach and half a mile from the beach. I even don't have air conditioning in my house. And um, I woke up in the morning and typically I don't have any sign. I don't have, it's bad in the air quality, but not so much because the West air, you know, the ocean is going and I found ashes on the, my patio and I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, I could, I can really relate now and how it feels for the population that is close to the fire. And then I went to, um, I had a presentation. I was speaking at the Ashray San Jose chapter. So I flew there and when I landed and I opened the door, you know how you, sometimes you go to South America or the hot country and you you hit by humidity and temperature. When I when the door opened there, I was like, oh my God, I cannot breathe. I'm feeling sick. And <clears throat> that was a day in, day out uh, presentation. I came in and I spoke and I was flying back that same night and I was thinking, how can these people actually work? How can they breathe? How can they be functional? And now my unit, our equipment, the DOAS, we're bringing 100% outside our unit. So how are we taking care of all of this, right? Now, should we shut it down? What is worse? Is it to bring the outside air or just having people bring the air inside? What kind of filtration? Am I using carbon now? So... At that time, I didn't work with IAIR, so I didn't look into this, but I did experience it. And wow, that was um, that was scary. Very, very scary. And this needs to be addressed for sure. And I'm sure it did. Yeah, it's very, very, very complicated. But, you know, the indications apparently are there's going to be war, more wildfire smoke. And it, it mm-hmm. may not be just confined to the western part of the U.S. It leads me to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about indoor air quality monitoring. Do you think there will come a day where there's local outdoor air quality monitoring that will work in tandem with indoor air quality monitoring? Hmm. It would be nice, right? It's uh, it's almost like when you buy uh, you buy a, a, an air conditioning unit, you know how many CR it is, right? But then does it really work with this efficiency? Ish. Or when the energy star, or when they rate the building, when you work in a building and they rate it, what is it? Is it like super efficient? Is it operating as it was designed? So I think we should. Personally, I think we should. And then that would push us, the HVAC um, professional, to make sure that not only the design is great, but also the install, the operating, and the maintenance. And I think that would be so helpful. How many times you are we sell a rooftop with an economizer, and after that you go to the job site and the economizer is disabled? How many times this happened? So 
now if we actually monitor it, we show it, we publish it, now we really need to stick to our gun, right? We really need to make sure that whatever has been designed is actually operating per design. So Gary, I think it's great. A lot of people may hate me. They're like, oh no. <laughs> but I think it would be great for, for the industry. Yeah, in a long term, it seems like the industry is headed in the long term to gathering more and more data inside, especially in, in buildings. Uh, I think it's something like 40% of the world's energy consumption comes from buildings. And yeah. anybody, you know, people like yourself, I'm certainly aware, you know, indoor quality oftentimes is very poor inside buildings. As you know, the HVAC industry, uh, which I absolutely like very, very much, um, you know, it starts with comfort. And, as, uh, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, the heat pump movement is on uh, decarbonization, energy efficiency. And, of course, there's this indoor air quality topic. This is complicated stuff for any individual building to uh, attempt to maximize the positive results. Um, regarding the Biden administration, uh, a couple months ago, the Biden administration and 25 U.S. state governors said that they want 20 million heat pumps installed in America by 2030. As an engineer, uh, is a heat pump one size fits all? Oof. If you tell me, uh, probably not, especially for the cold climate with, you know, they are struggling with the heating, especially I'm from Quebec. So it gets very cold uh, in the winter. So then what happens, right? We we have to do some supplemental heat. How do you do that? Now, do you use hot water? Do you use electric heat? Now, if you use electric heat, where does it go? You just take more energy. So is this the solution? Is it the only solution? Um, I trust, I trust that they did their homework, right? That uh, when you actually implement something that is, federal, you know, that it's coming from Biden, I would think that they did their homework. And I would think that some engineers actually know what they're doing. And actually, if they think that this is the best way to go, good. However, like you said, there is no one size fits all. And this is why actually at IAIR, we got the solar unit because Biden um, got the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act last year, and this was $300 billion for climate change. And I'm like, okay, we had already a product that can help. And then with the solar, we can assist the heat pump as well. So if we can reduce the energy and we can help out with that movement, I think it's a great complement. It's a great uh, team to make it work. Regarding your, your home, uh, you're based in California, if I understand you correctly. Correct. What do you what do you have in place to protect your health regarding indoor air quality? Uh, I'm I'm probably a bad engineer because I you know no, <laughs> no air conditioning in my house. <laughs> but you're but, you're on you're on the beach, right, or close by? Yes, yes. Actually, my indoor air quality is all my windows are open all the time, so it's a uh, very like maybe two weeks or a month like that uh, we it's it's very very warm. But I have um, a central air system. I have a furnace. So I have gas. In California, we have a lot of gas. 
Um, when uh, my previous job, I was located in California. I was a specifying engineer. The only thing I was specifying was gas, uh, as far as the uh, refrigerant, uh, the X equipment. And um, yeah, I was thinking I'm I'm really in love with the UV, uh, the UV light. I love it. I sold it. Um, I did a lot of site survey because we actually installed it at my former company. And we did the testing ourselves to see what the difference was. And actually, it's funny because uh, uh, one of the testing, we, we had a light that didn't come up on side, one side of the coil, and the other one came. And when we came three days after, we could see the difference. And we're like, whoa, we took pictures of it. And I showed all the consulting engineering engineers. But again, the number one complaint was from the engineers Corinne, we love this, you know, this is good indoor air quality. This is great to um, attack and make sure that there is no mold bacteria growing. However, they're not changing the bulb. So why do I pay for it? Why do I install that? And in my house, I was thinking, well, I'm not gonna install it, you know, it, it's a furnace, you know, no coil. So there was no, no plan for it. So I, I'm, a, I'm a bad or a good example, I should say, right? Because, you know, a, a lot of fresh air by the ocean is a very good indoor air quality. Right. What do you use, uh, Gary? Do you have uh, indoor air quality in your house? Uh, yeah, I, I sure do. Um, I'm a big believer in indoor air quality monitoring. And regarding a filter, I, I am a big believer in having the highest rated filter. What type of filter do you have in your home? Is it a HEPA, MERV 13? Yeah, I have a MERV 13. And guess what, Gary? I do change it. <laughs> well, that, do that, that's what I was going to ultimately ask you, because I've asked a bunch of contractors in my past, how often do they see dirty, filthy, if not terribly clogged HVAC filters? And they say all the time. So mm -hmm. nobody knows, but I think there's probably millions of people that have dirty, clogged HVAC filters. With wildfire smoke, if it comes through the area, what would you recommend? If the manufacturer says change the filter every three months and the wildfire smoke comes through, uh, what would you do or what would you recommend to a client? Should they be changed every month? Absolutely. Absolutely. The more the merrier, right? Uh, I don't know what, as far as the change of filter, I, I look at it, right? More, more than just saying, oh, well, it's been three months, I should do it. So it's in, for me, the return is right in my uh, uh, kitchen or living area. So it's easy. But when it's hidden, this is where you have a tendency of forgetting about it. So when it actually, I was just looking at it. Uh, my dad came to visit in September and I'm like, hey, dad, help me out, right? Uh, we need a ladder. Can you just remove it? And then we remove it and we're like, oh, it doesn't need to be changed. It was not, it was not bad at all. But since it was like a darkish color, I thought it was, it was dirty, but it's probably some carbon or something in it that made it look more black. So we just put it back, right? It was, but I look, it's a visual thing. So if you don't see it, that's a problem. That's a very big problem. You're a, you're a best-selling author. Can you share with us, uh, you know, what you've, published to date and if you have any future uh, publications you could be putting out? Yes. Uh, yes. Actually, my book is non-technical, but it's for the technical professionals. So my book is called um, How to be Human in a Technical World. 
And what I've noticed, uh, Gary, is we have a lot of um, like podcasts like you that are highly technical. Uh, we have a lot of presentation within ASHRAE with the Distinguished Lecture Program. So we, ad we address as engineers, the technical part. We love the data. We like the analytical part. We like the monitoring, you know, and the control and all of this. But what I've noticed is how can we work together if we don't get along or if we don't have good relationship? And because I always say it doesn't really matter how technical and how smart you are if nobody wants to work with you. Yes, so that's, I, well, I, huh? that, that's well put. I, I think if I'm not mistaken, Ashray published something, uh, I don't know, six months ago, whatever it was about soft skills, soft skills and the importance for people with technical expertise. And I think Ashray had indicated that something like 80% of being successful in life, if there's a, someone has a technical background, is understanding clearly soft skills. Because, Absolutely. because the technical expertise will get you the job. But just as you pointed out, I, I really like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference, right? We Like we want to save the world. We want to work on the climate change. We want to improve the indoor air quality. We want to do all of this. But then we go to a meeting and it's like pointing fingers and you did that, you did that. And then we don't work together. So if we want to save the world, if we want to make it a better world, we need to learn how to work together. And I, I actually, my book is about emotional intelligence and I teach about human skills. So you can actually have performance, uh, performing teams and you can have great relationship, great communication, great collaboration. So at the end of the, the day, we can all make a better world. Hi, Kareen, JB here. I've been listening in kind of uh, absorbing um, your conversation to this point. And, and I want to ask a follow-up question regarding the book and, and your, um, your approach to this subject matter and really put it in context of the conversation that you and Gary have been having for the last 30 minutes or so. Uh, because I noticed on the website, you know, talking about um, where you're describing your skills and your services, you have this really simplistic Venn diagram image in which you've got a circle that is human skills and another circle that is technical skills and then a little bitty sliver where those overlap and you define that middle as magic. And so my question to you is in the context of IAQ and all these uh, kind of procedural uh, items that you and Gary have been talking about, such as monitoring and changing filters and installing heat pumps and all this stuff, do you think that the, the, the technical side of IAQ is p moving too fast and not focusing on the simplicity of just educating users, educating homeowners, educating builders. Um, what's your thought on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, JB, I really like this. Uh, the, my Venn diagram is basically, I want to make sure that it's clear that you cannot just have human skills and no technical and vice versa. You cannot just have technical with no human skills. So when you have both, this is where the magic happens. And then why are we not changing those filters in houses? Well, where, where does it go? If I don't change a filter, it's because I don't understand the importance of it. 
if I'm not understanding the importance, that means that the contractor is not explaining it right to me. Or it doesn't make it, or she doesn't make a good job uh, saying, hey, this, because of this, you're going to get sick. Because of this, you're going to feel tired. Because of this, it's going to get dirty. All of these are, your fan is going to take more energy. Do you want to pay more in your electric bill? All of these, is it clear? Are we telling the population about it? And actually, it's funny that you ask because I have a good friend, uh, Michelle Chatpour. She's starting a video series on LinkedIn. And she was saying, what kind of question should I address? And I wrote in the comments, Michelle, can you please explain what is decarb to a five-year-old so we can all understand what it is? It's a fancy word, right? Climate change, all of these. But again, it's part of the communication. And this is where the soft skills, the human skills come into play. We need to do a better job into making those relationships and you know, make it more simple. Yeah, the public certainly needs educated. Yeah. And, and you're in a unique position mm -hmm. uh, as a guest international speaker, as I understand. You know, what type of groups do you speak to? Is it primarily engineers? Yes, I do. I do speak to engineers. I would say what, like almost all of them. And um, engineers, it, they have a tendency to just go and say it like it is right and they don't really want to they think that emotional intelligence is about all about being nice uh, oh well i don't have to be nice what i want to talk about is about what it is right it's all about the proof the numbers the analytical part but the way you tell me will make me respond differently okay and i may not want to listen to you after you speak so when I speak, I spoke to 13 countries, I believe, or 15 countries now, 130 times. So um, all these engineers, when I talk to them, I want to make sure that they understand that they need more than technical expertise in order to work in the team. And also when you talk to the owners, the owners, they don't know. And quite frankly, I don't think they care about your little numbers or if you want to monitor things what they want to do is to have a productive team they don't want to pay a lot of uh, bill for the electricity and they don't want to hear about the unit that is you know broken or that doesn't last so this is where the human skill come in the relationship and the understanding so good question thank you jb yeah well i have a follow-up do you think that the um the educational process, um, well, well, let me back up just a hair because um, people around the world, Americans in particular, you know, when we, we look to solve problems or eliminate pain points in our lives, um, you know, for, for example, uh, milk's expensive. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to drive 10 miles further for a 25 cent cheaper gallon of milk, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm perceived to be solving that problem yet my total cost is higher, right? But when it comes to air quality and units, you know, the, this whole solving the pain problem is 99.9% .9 of the time purely an economic discussion when what you guys have been discussing um, and this industry claims it's focusing on airborne pathogens and coronavirus and all these other diseases and mold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why, in your opinion, do you think that the industry is having a hard time 
reframing the actual pain point and moving it away from economics? Oh, it's all about money, right? All the time it's about money. And uh, the way you were talking about JB, I'm like, if all the words you use, if I would be like my mom or my neighbor, I would have checked out, right? It, you lost me. But if you go and address a population about like, are they getting sick? Are they getting tired? And all of these, I think these pain points would make a better or more, uh, a huge difference, way more than the technical part, personally. The technical comes after. So I think to answer your question, it's, it's all about the money part more than how people feel, even if it's kind of related when you think about it, right? So if I feel tired or I feel like my, my kid has asthma or, you know, my, my employees are not productive, it costs me money, but I don't see it. I, I, I don't know. I don't see indoor air quality as one of the, the, the problem to it. So maybe that would be a good way to focus more on the human part versus the technical part and see where it goes, but not only once. It would have to be consistent. Consistency is key. Yeah. Just like brushing your teeth every day, right? You don't brush your teeth once once a month or once a week. You, we have to do it all the time. But engineers, you communicate the way you like to communicate. So we engineers, how we communicate is technically, right? This is the way we like it. If I'm talking to another engineer, he's going to talk to me or she's going to talk to me about numbers, the proof, the data. If I'm talking to my neighbors, I will talk about something else. I will adjust my speech so they understand in their language. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep flipping the, the script here a little bit. Gary, I'm going to pose the question to you because you, clearly you've got the background as well. Um, do you, and it just kind of occurred to me in listening to Kareen's response, um, when you have manufacturers reps, when you have distributors, when you have installers, when you have bidders, and when you have the general contractors and all these individuals that are surrounded around the... H quote HVAC process. Do you find it funny when you just step back and take a look at it that n the vast majority, probably 90, 95% of those individuals that are making these decisions will never spend enough time in those spaces for the end product to really matter to them from a health standpoint? How, how, do, you, how do you cross that bridge given your experience as a manufacturer's rep and living on that side of the equation? Well, that's, that's an interesting, complicated question, JB. <laughs> but the HVAC industry, it's a massive industry, as we all know. There's tens of millions of HVAC systems just in America. HVAC contractors, HVAC distributors at stock at the local level. Of course, many manufacturers and so on and so forth. But I think the only way it can help move it forward is indoor air quality monitoring. And I think the public in general, which of course are mostly laypersons, I think in the long term, they're gonna demand that they know a lot more about what's going on in their indoor environment. And other than somebody's sense of smell, uh, you know, a typical person, that's all they can rely on and they don't even think about it and they go about their business. So I, I think indoor air quality monitoring is a key, but uh, the educating the public should be a never-ending process. And I think down at the school level, maybe seventh grade, somewhere in there, personally, I think 
IAQ 101 should be taught at a, a young age. Uh, and also I think it should be taught right alongside of water 101, the hydrologic cycle. Because clean air and clean water is something we all have to have. And the sooner that young people start getting educated with the very basics, you know, like what does HVAC stand for? What does IAQ stand for? This is like 101 stuff. And I think that's the only way to approach it in the long term. But IQ monitoring, I think in the long term, the public is going to demand that a lot more be done regarding the air that we're all exposed to inside our buildings to start with. So, so, I, have an, so I have an idea for the two of you. Let me know what you think. Uh, you, you know how most time you have, you know, for, like in the case of uh, air monitors, you know, most of them are strategically looking for partners, products in which they piggyback off. Can you imagine if a monitor company like an Aeronet or whoever, don't go partner with an HVAC company, go partner with Pampers. Put, put one monitor in each like super case of diapers so that moms put it in the, right? You want to see people address IAQ quick? Move through that avenue, <laughs> you know, and create this, this uh, more dangerous uh, visual in the baby's room and watch how quickly people address the filters. You, people, people need to see something for the very first time that has to do with the air quality indoors. Now, regarding indoor quality monitoring, it's very complicated. The quality of the instrumentation, what specific metrics are being measured, who's interpreting that information, and of course, if and when it's warranted, what you know, what course of action needs to be taken. This is complicated stuff, but based on what I see, the internet is gonna become more and more flooded with indoor air quality monitors that are cheap online. And it happened a long time ago with air purifiers. And I think that's gonna be the future that's gonna play a key role to educating the public. And some people are gonna probably make a lot of money by I, providing data. I, 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 bet, I bet Apple's first to market. <laughs> They'll build it into the, the, into the next iPhone 16. Yeah, I, I think-, I think uh, Why not? <laughs> I have a right. friend actually who uh, who has a, an horror story because her kid went to school and they had a leak in the school and they didn't have that monitoring that you're talking about, okay? And what happened is the teacher is starting to feel sick and until they realized that there was a leak and now she's so hurt about this that she decided to speak about that. And she's going all over the U.S. to schools and trying to increase awareness. And so we talk about indoor air quality, about like energy efficiency, product, product, uh, being productive, you know, a sickness. But this is a big deal. You know, this is can be a life um, threatening. It can be a, something people can die from. So if we go the other way and not just be like nice to have to must have, then that would make a big difference if we use all these examples that we don't really know, right? It's we know, but it's like you know the earthquake. It comes in, we all talk about it, and then we forget. So I like your idea, JB, of the the, the Pampers box. <laughs> yeah, Gabby, can you imagine new mom, first time mom, opening up the diaper box and there's an air quality monitor? Like, oh my God, they they, they would have 500 filters in that house at that point. 
changing every other day. <laughs> it's, it's moving in that direction. A company called IKEA, which is a world famous home furnishing brand, they've got air quality monitors now. Uh, you know, they've never been in in this industry, yeah. but they they're they're known about you know worldwide for their home furnishing. So I, I, IKEA yeah, is, and, IKEA is known for punishing individuals that go out and buy furniture and they make you put it together. I mean, it's like torture. (laughs) There's there's a big future, and most importantly, IAQ awareness promotes good health and saves lives. And combine that with a public that's basically comprised of laypersons. I I think the IQ monitoring segment is going to have a huge long-term future. Because it will trigger actions for people to take actions. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Corinne, listen, we're, we're running short on time. Uh, love to have you back on in 2024. Where can people find you on social media? You're on LinkedIn, of course. Of course, LinkedIn is uh, the best place, Corinne uh, LeBlanc. And our company's website is myiair, so myiair.com. And uh, we are on uh, Facebook, on Instagram. We are on LinkedIn, um, same as my own. You know, if you want to find my book, it's on Amazon. I'm going to celebrate two years of uh, publishing in uh, January 28th. And uh, I'm going to be speaking at the ASHRAE uh, HR Expo on Monday morning. And uh, if you want to buy the book and have it signed, I can do it there. But I'm going to talk about uh, how to use emotional intelligence to help HVAC leaders. So exactly what we talked about uh, this morning. So if you want to see me in person, you can see me in Chicago at the HR Expo and social media everywhere on IR, everywhere on KareenLeBlanc.com is the same. Thank you, Corrine. Thank you, Corrine. Thank you so much. It was so nice to see you guys. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Indoor AirPod produced by Gaslight STL, your podcast partner. Be sure to give our show a follow to keep up with upcoming guests and topics. And please reach out with any questions or guest suggestions.